biggest thing for me was being able to differentiate mastery from being familiar with something. Most people get to the point where they can code something and they can do it pretty confidently. But once I feel like I got to that point, I'll read a book on best practices for whatever that thing is. Even the smartest and best programmers or whatever you're doing, I find they plateau at that stage and that's when other people who put in that extra work can't surpass them. Welcome everybody to episode 28 of the Paul and Pals podcast. I'm your host, Pony Boy Paul. Ah, it's 29. Fuck. Welcome everybody to episode 29 of the Paul and Pals podcast. I'm your host, Pony Boy Paul. And Paul and Pals is a podcast where I interview my creative pals who are creating the life that they want to live. My goal is to inspire others, but really myself, to get up and actually go start creating the life that you want to live. And in this episode, I have a creative conversation with my pal, Benji Bear. He is a software engineer, photographer, web developer, and apparently part-time fisherman. And in this episode, we actually talk about why he's currently in Alaska, how he's able to basically get the Empire State Building lit up just for him, and how he created an online multiplayer game that's been played almost 1 million times in over 150 countries. Also, after you finish listening to this episode and you want to know my personal takeaway from it, you can actually subscribe to the Paul and Pals newsletter, and you can find that link in the show notes. Without any further ado, let's get creative. How long have you been uh, fishing? That's a that's a random thing to start the show with, but yeah, no, I I've only been fishing for the past three months. Um, okay, I had no knowledge of fishing pretty much until I came to Alaska. Part of, yeah. part of the reason why I came out here is I wanted to get into that as a hobby. And Alaska in the summer is the best fishing there is here yeah. in the U.S. So so pr- pretty much um, during during the uh, uh, pandemic, once my lease ended in San Francisco, I was actually considering getting a sublet from somebody else because the sublets were so cheap back then. But my manager was like, dude, you should just get out of the state of California and try something else. And, uh, wanting to hear that from my manager was pretty cool. But then within two weeks, I ended up getting a lease out in Utah of all all places. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I really didn't have much experience with was, um, skiing. And when I was there for the winter, I skied almost 50 days and went from zero to being able to hold my own in skiing. And I like that experience. I like picking up new hobbies in general. So uh, when I eventually spent nine months in Utah, which was pretty wild because I spent nine months in San Francisco. So what wasn't a side for me being the same amount of time. But I was thinking, you know, having a hobby I could do all the time and get good at during this work from home period uh, I was kind of looking for that at the next place I moved to. Um, and for me, that was either going to be surfing in Hawaii or somewhere like that or fishing yeah. in Alaska. And that was kind of my headspace when I decided to get into fishing. But okay. it seemed like a hobby I could pick up in my free time. And it wouldn't cost me a ton to do it you know, each weekend and, and such. I feel like what you just said describes you as a person just overall because, you know, initially I always knew you as a photographer. You know, we went to the University of Michigan, go blue, and I used to just hear about you because I was in, you know, ASA or certain different orgs, and I know you used to take pictures for orgs, right? So I always just assumed like, okay, mm-hmm. Benji Bear is a photographer. But then as I was getting ready for the interview, I'm like, oh, he... Uh, developed a whole game he likes to travel and he has a he develops websites and like it seems like you've always been very like into your hobbies Uh, is that something that's been a part of your you since you were a child or did that come kind of maybe college or did covid cause it where did that come from i think i've always been into picking up a lot of random things when i was actually um, my summer after my freshman year of college i was working in a research lab at the hospital and the guy who runs that lab, he's a brilliant, super smart dude. And he gave me advice. He's like, Benji, make sure you streamline into one thing, get really good at that thing, 
and don't get distracted by different things. I wholeheartedly have not taken that advice. And I've gotten <laughs> interested in a bunch of things, and I think it keeps it keeps things exciting. But I see. Um, so yeah, I, I went very deep into photography, and I still do that all the time. Uh, but if I had stuck with what I was good at, then I would be doing. I would never have gotten into computer science, and uh, I didn't start coding really until my sophomore year. So, um, but yeah, I think that's part of my personality. I've always had is to get good at whatever hobby I pick up. I guess I, I'm assuming it seems like photography is your first. Would you say that's your first love? Your first maybe passion or hobby? Um, I I don't know. I I didn't really start taking photos until my sophomore year of high school. So okay. I was I was originally in a like a magnet arts program for drawing cartoons of all things, and um, I started taking photos on my way back from the bus stop. Uh, I think in the spring of my sophomore year. So it was, um, and uh, so it was nearing the end of the school year, and my teacher was like, "Benji, you're going to buy a camera, and you're going to like it." And we didn't really have photography as one of the curriculum in this program. So I was the only one. Everybody else had a very structured process. I, um, like they, had, they had homework and assignments to do. I was just given a pre-signed you know, stack of pink slips, which is what you need to go to the bathroom and walk around the hallways that had my teacher's signature, but no start, you know, date, or rationale. Yeah. I could fill that in whenever whenever I wanted, and I could go leave school and take photos. <laughs> you had a, you had a so, whole pass. <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much. And I would, uh, you know, come back, and pretty much weekly, we'd put my best photos onto a slideshow, and the class would roast them. And that's how I, you know. Wait, they that, would roast them as in, like, make fun of you? Just keep... Well, just give me feedback. But, oh, okay. I was like, damn. You'll, you'll hear the good, the bad, the ugly. Okay. <laughs> no, not. it was not all negative. But it, gotcha. it was a great experience. But it was um, – um, yeah, but that, that whole process didn't you – know, before that, I was drawing casually in there. So it wasn't really something that I, I, I got into until almost halfway through high school. Mm. Um, I was in I was in the sports and that kind of thing. I I rode at Michigan for a bit, um, so I've had hobbies that I've gotten into before I got into into photography. But gotcha. of my hobbies, I you know kind of have carried on. You know, people do many things in high school, but the things that have stuck with me, photography has been probably the biggest one. That's a good point, man. And and I relate to that. I was uh, talking with a friend of mine last night, and you know he's a he's a musical artist and we were talking about the current school to work pipeline where, you know, just coming into school or college specifically, it's very much like, Hey, make sure you, you figure this out and you're probably going to be doing that for the majority of your life. And it's funny because I think now that I've been able to have that job and I'm, you know, fortunate enough to be settled and be okay, I'm starting, I'm starting to resort back to what I initially liked, what I wanted to do, because I've always kind of been interested in making videos. Like that's what I'm doing more now. So I think it's interesting how we tend to just go back to who we want to be. And it's cool that you've been able to kind of keep that up since it first came to be. And how did that influence um, your decision going into college? Did you know like you wanted to apply to art or how did, how did it become pre-med? Oh, well, it was interesting. I remember something my teacher would tell me a lot in high school. She would ask me, uh, Benji, are you a photographer? And it was a weird question to be asked all the time. But I remember uh, I, I had a hard time answering that question. At, at the time, I was like, you know, photographer is a pretty, a pretty strong term. I'm a dude who takes photos. Yeah, I would go as far <laughs> to say I'm a photographer. But then um, my senior year, uh, I applied for this thing called the Scholastic Art and Writing Awards. It's a big nationwide competition for, for, you know, different kinds of art and writing. It's pretty much the biggest, uh, by number of applicants, uh, high school competition there is. And the top award there is this thing called the Senior Gold Portfolio. I think it's like seven artists and seven writers get picked for this. And um, there's like a regional level. And then you know, once you get past your region, you go to the state. And if you win in your state, then that goes to the national thing where you become a contender for that kind of award as a senior. And 
my uh, portfolio had been one of one of those seven artists who were picked. So that wow. was pretty cool. We got to go to New York City and there was a, the, the ceremony was at Carnegie Hall and Whoop, 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 uh, Whoopi Goldberg was um, like the MC for it. And uh, I think Chelsea Clinton was also there giving a speech. They actually lit up the Empire State Building gold and it was just a, a fun experience. But after that, I was like, maybe I can call myself a photographer now. Um, but <laughs> why did you uh, not have this? Why did you not have that? Um, I guess maybe not confidence, but certainty in that initially. Like, obviously, you were good at it, but like, what made you feel like you weren't a photographer? I don't know. I, I had a bunch of different things I was into in, in high school. Um, one sports and rowing were one of those, and. But I think especially when, when you're starting, you know, even your good photos aren't super intentional. Um, in the beginning, you know, you have a lot of happy accidents where it looks great, but um, it was, you know, especially if you're not using manual mode in your camera or something, uh, it can be hard to know exactly when you're going to get a great photo or not. Now I feel like I know what the photo is going to look like before I take it and it's a lot more intentional. I take way less photos per shoot than I used to, right? Um, because it's a lot more intentional. But I think because there was that kind of experimenting process, it didn't really feel like, I don't know, for some reason, it didn't feel like uh, it was as intentional enough for me to give myself a title of I'm a photographer. It felt very, very high and mighty. But um, I see. But yeah, but pretty much uh, my senior year is when I started maybe taking it a bit more seriously and winning that um, competition opened up a lot more scholarships opportunities. So then I started looking into different schools for their art program or dual, dual degree art school and some, uh, something else. But uh, at the schools I was looking at, it, it was really, really hard to do both an art degree and your normal stuff anywhere close to four years. So um, I ended up not going through the whole curriculum. And I just kind of did it on my own. But at no point had I really made photography into a business. That was um, that didn't come until college. And even then, that was by accident. But um, mm. in colleges, we're much more of the business sense and building a team and uh, came in. Whereas in high school, it's a lot more like high art and um, yeah. you know, like fancy stuff. Got you. And um, I, I noticed that a lot of your photography that I saw, I mean, at least at University of Michigan, was more like usually portraits, right? But like when you were applying, to, or I guess when you won this initial, this national award, what kind of photography were you into or what were you taking at that time? I've always been into people photos. I think people photos are my favorite thing. Uh, right now I'm doing a decent amount of landscape stuff just because I'm out traveling and it's been a pandemic and... I think running down and flagging random strangers to take take the photo is a little bit more taboo <laughs> than it was, you know, yeah. b before the pandemic. But um, mm -hmm. I think in general, though, um, I find it's a lot more easy to express yourself as a photographer with people than it is with the landscape, where only so many ways you can take pictures of the same landscape. Uh, and you, yeah. what you end up seeing is what I often see at these art shows. Um, uh, like you know, those outdoor fairs with a bunch of art stands. There's a bunch of really, really good landscapes, but they all look kind of, kind of similar. And I find I'm able yeah. to kind of have a more um, personal tone and style with people photos that I think is is, is fun. So um, the same thing went in, in high school. My, my portfolio for that competition was it's a bunch of people from around my school, and which was in a really rough neighborhood. Um, uh, like I think my high school, at least back then, had like a, um, my my hometown's Rockford, Illinois. We're oh. um, oh. often labeled as top and not good metrics for cities, but gotcha. uh, it's been getting a, 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 a lot better. But I think my high school, at least back then, I think it's pretty similar now. Has like a sixty percent graduation rate. Um, you know, a bunch of the students there are on food stamps. We have like a you know lunch is free. Now, um, back then, at least there was a bunch of fights that would happen. Every, we have a police station in the school, so every every hallway Wait, has what? has cops in it because because there's fights all the time. Like we would go on lockdown, not super in, in frequently, um, 
when some of the fights get too big and they need to be able to handle it without people leaving their classes. It was it was it was a rough thing. No, no, it was oh. <laughs> my my analysis on it is that if you're not looking for for a trouble, you're not going to get in trouble. Yeah. I think the fights that happen there are much more political than they are anything else. You get into a fight because uh, you wanted to get broken up and it's safe. If you get into a fight outside of school, you don't know what's going to happen. So yeah. uh, I think people who aren't looking for something are going to be totally fine. But that being said, a lot, a lot of people did eat lunch in their teacher's rooms. You pick a, pick a teacher you like and you just eat lunch, day, lunch there instead. <laughs> but anyways, people that I, I uh, took photos of were you know, in that school and in that environment. And uh, those were the places I had volunteered growing up. Um, so it kind of had a little bit of like an edgy tone to it. I think they were all black and white, or almost all of them were. And um, for whatever reason, that series of portraits uh, kind of documenting that environment worked out. That's a talent. And, um, you know, you mentioned something about how you you wanted to do the full, you wanted to do art curriculum and something else, but you ended up not doing it and kind of learning it on the side, right? So when you got to Michigan, how did you keep your skills up or how did you improve it? And then, you know, basically make it a business. Yeah. One of the things that I, I remember thinking about when I was studying, if I wanted to take a class or not, was I kind of liked the informal way I learned photography in high school where I didn't really have a structured theory of here's how you should be editing. Here's how, you know, I, I learned some, the, the general artistic, uh, ways to compose like a painting, for example, which is similar to any kind of art medium. But uh, I didn't get the formal, here's what you should be doing. And I kind of liked how I did things a little bit differently than other people did. Uh, and uh, part of me worried that if I took a course on it, I would start doing what everybody else was doing. Uh, <laughs> so I don't think I, yeah. I, I, I actually never took a course in college. One, the ones I thought were cool, they didn't really allow people who weren't getting the, the degree. So the intro courses I wasn't really interested in. Um, but, um, but yeah, like in high school, I had this art community that was really fun. I had actually, for my senior year, I think I had three hours of art class. I had like, uh, um, I had one art class, I think a second art class, then, then I had lunch. So it was kind of three, three hour block where I would often just leave and just go explore abandoned places around the school or, and senior year, you could do that. So I would just leave, take photos and come back. But um, in college, I, I lost that. So I didn't have that kind of crazy community around me. And I was surrounded by entirely engineer, well, not then engineers, I was pre-med initially. Mm -hmm. So, but it was all people in the STEM field. Uh, and I, so my sophomore year, I decided to join a fashion magazine, which I thought was um, the scariest thing that I could get into. Like one, taking photos of models, I didn't know any, <laughs> anything about doing that. Um, yeah. And then um, uh, two, I figured it would be a community of people that would kind of fit that thing that I had missed from high school. The, mm. uh, and it definitely did. Like you go on these shoes for this fashion magazine and you know, you have like somebody from, we had, we had different orgs in that magazine. We had like a, a photography division. We had a fashion team. We had mm -hmm. a business team and the fashion people come up with these crazy ideas for shoots and then kind of slices up the college experience. But yeah. Um, so I did that to kind of, that was very intentional. Something I tried to do is it um, keep up some skills and get into an area that I didn't have much, much experience in and kind of scared me. Um, by the time I was, you know, I think a junior, I was on the board and I didn't realize this until we had our like pitch for people to join the org. Everybody comes from festival and you, you explain what, what you are uh, to them and the entire board goes up. And I realized then that I was the only guy on the board. So <laughs> that, that was fun. It was like 14 people. I'm the only dude. Yeah. But I think oh, my damn. senior year, there was like one other guy. But um, 
but then eventually when I started taking photos and my business started growing, uh, that took up a humongous amount of time. And that definitely kept me on my toes. I learned to edit very, very fast to be able to do my schoolwork and do a few hours of shoots most days and all that kind of stuff. And even when I wasn't doing shoots for a gig, I was often doing them on the weekend at tailgates for, for fun. Um, yeah. And yeah, I put a bunch of hours into that during college. Yeah. You made the most of it. I remember I was, when I was going back through our, um, uh, our Instagram DMs, I remember I had actually asked you if you could do the, um, I don't know what year it was, but the African student association show, I remember I had asked you, I'm like, yo, what are your rates? Uh, maybe we can set something up. I don't think we ended up moving forward, but I remember that you were known enough to the point that I could like, hey, you're that guy, right? Also, that reminds me, I <laughs> didn't think your real name was Benji Bear. I thought it was like a, like a you know, kind of yeah. like I have Ponyboy Paul. I'm like, okay, Benji Bear, that's kind of your thing. Yeah. Because I'm like, nobody's real last name is Bear. And then the Benji fit so well. So I had to just, I don't know how often you get that, but that, that stood out to me for sure. There's always a phase say, in every um, friendship that I have where, oh, sorry. No, I think it was a delay on my side, but yeah, what'd you say? Oh, I, I was saying that uh, there's a phase in every friendship that I have where that person brings up that they didn't realize until then that my name actually was Benji Bear. Uh, for some people, that's within like an hour. For some, it's like three months later and like, wait a second. <laughs> That's actually your, your real name. I show them my ID. Yeah. Yeah, it's technically it's <laughs> Benjamin Bear, but I, I'll go by yeah. Benji. And, Got um, you. But uh, every interview I've ever had, um, like, like a job interview, it started off with, you have a cool name. And so I thank my parents for helping me get in- interviews by picking a fun name. Yeah. No, it's, it's a dope name. You got to capitalize it on, capitalize on it. And uh, we were talking about, you know, you got into photography but you mentioned that uh pre-med and engineering so where did they come like what inspired you to start pursuing that well i always liked doing like the science math stuff in high school too uh, so i knew that i wanted to go into that in some facet um i was a humongous chemistry nerd in high school and um like the chemistry nerdiness goes runs deep Apparently, my friends have told me that as a drunk, I am the nerdiest <laughs> drunk that they know. And I remember uh, I was actually in Mammoth skiing in California um, two years ago. And, uh, and I, I was there for my, my, my birthday. And the next day, my friends were like, you know, you drank a lot last night. And I was like, well, at least I didn't talk about chemistry and then my my friend was like benji you asked me to quiz you on chemistry formulas at the bar <laughs> and she's a chemistry girl so like it had context yeah. but i was like damn it that happened again but um anyways i was really into that stuff and my my dad yeah. was a doc is a doctor and i was kind of exposed to the medicine world and i thought that was cool but um so that's why i originally went pre-med and i went deep in the pre-med stuff i was part of a pre-med professional fraternity um, you know, I, I had done all the courses for it except for two. Um, and they actually were better grades than my coding courses were. And, but, um, uh, that was the initial reasoning of why I wanted to go into medicine. But when I started doing research at the hospital, um, where the guy gave me the advice that I should pick, pick, pick one thing and go very deep on it, um, I learned to code there, and in that process, I uh, liked it. And by the end end of that summer, we had um, made something that worked pretty well. And I thought that was cool. Someone like me who was a complete newbie could make something that worked. Um, I started taking coding courses, and I eventually liked it so much that um, I got the bug, and I ended up not applying for med school. Wow. So how many years of so you you went through almost senior year doing both um i guess both curriculum or did you have to commit to uh cs eventually at one point i really there, there was a point where i was computer science major doing pre-med at the same time but i think by sometime in my junior year i ended up just stopping doing pre-med in its entirety it was it was kind of kind of late 
for me to do the jump. So um, I've done pretty much the entire curriculum, but you don't get bonus points for doing pre-med. It's not a major. So um, I graduated by plowing through computer science as fast as I could to graduate in four years and had no minors, just a computer science major, and that, that was it. And it seems like it's been able to help you a lot because I, I see like you've been able to utilize your skill because I think you, you mentioned before on a, an interview I listened to you where you mentioned like CS doesn't really mean anything until you have something to apply it to. And I'm curious, like when you, even though you, you thought CS was cool, did you always have a, a, maybe an intended goal that you wanted to do with CS by the time you graduated? Um, no, no. I remember on... Uh, um, I didn't have this idea of like, I must do machine learning for certain things and you know, I must do medicine coding stuff. Um, I didn't have that much of a targeted focus. Uh, so I was open to working on a wide variety of projects after graduating. You know, I actually had done all my internships in college were not really for software engineering, they were for cybersecurity. So I was doing hacking stuff, um, which was a lot of fun. Where um, like one summer I was working with a hacking group where we would be brought in by big companies and they would want us to hack them like a hacker would. And um, uh, for some of these big companies, man, it was surprisingly easy. And that puzzle <laughs> was pretty fun to, to do. The next summer I was working for yeah. like... Um, a big bank on their defense, right? So um, that was kind of cool to try to, instead of trying to break things, trying to, you know, build up a really high wall so no one can, you know, you can, you, you can get hacked in a second and you might not even know you were hacked. It's not like, like a war where if you get hit by a surprise attack, you know the next morning that you were hit. Yeah. So defense is really, really, really hard. But um, either way, none of those were software engineering. Those were a specific subset of, um, you know, cybersecurity stuff. And, uh, but in my free time, I always like making personal projects. That was a big piece of my personality is I always work on, I find that I don't feel fully content with my week unless I'm building something kind of from the ground up. And, uh, there's, um, and in college that was the same way. There's a long list of past personal projects that, um, was where I learned most of what I know from computer science. I think in college you learn, you learn the basics, uh, but I think ninety percent of what I practically know is from those personal projects. Um, Covidopoly was one of those that um, became popular during the quarantine period. I think we're almost at a, a million games played. We're at nine hundred eighty-four thousand, I think, um, as of wow. yesterday. But um, that that was just like a supposed to be a like two week aside. It wasn't even going to be called COVIDopoly initially. It was called Benjopoly, mm-hmm. and Benjopoly. all the <laughs> cards in that game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All the cards in that game were going to be different people on my team at work. Um, so we'd have like a, oh. an Andrew card or whatever, and they'd have their face on it, and their sound effects be really funny and have sound bites of them. Yeah, but at that point, I was back home with my family during the pandemic, and um, my my mom was like, "You know, I think I have a a better name than Ben Jopoli. And I honestly, you know, I, I immediately thought that there was no way you could have a, a better name than Ben Jopoli. But she's <laughs> like, "What about if you named it Covidopoly and made it all like pandemic games?" And I was like. Yeah. Okay, that might have some promise. So during dinner, we made up all the card names, and you know, and I changed it over the next day, and some things happened, and it accidentally took off, and that was a whole mm-hmm. whole story in and of itself. But um, I always like doing those personal projects, and uh, so now I work at Google, and pretty much it was those projects that helped me get the skills to be able to work doing a software engineering role here. Ben Javli, that's funny. Don't you just hate when people just name things after themselves? <laughs> you know, it never, it never goes well. Oh, but uh, <laughs> I love it. 
<laughs> right? Same. Uh, but yeah, going back mm-hmm. to COVIDopoly, give us a little bit of a background of, of what that is and how that came about. Yeah. COVIDopoly is a online multiplayer card game. Uh, it can be played within uh, you know 10 minutes to an hour, depending on how big your group is and if everybody knows how to, how to play. But it's pretty pretty easy to pick up. It has a lot of similar elements to Monopoly Deal. Um, oh, okay. And I actually learned in the uh, office. Juan, Juan, my creative director, he actually told me about Monopoly Deal. He's like the first person to tell me about that. That's funny. Well, yeah, it's it's a fun game, and it's a game that we used to play in the office. We had a, a game day Thursday tradition where every Thursday during lunch, my team would come and we play a card game or different board games for an hour. We actually have these gi- like two giant closets just full of card and board games. And any game you could want, we, we would do. But our most common game we would play was Monopoly Deal. So um, for the first time since I had been at the company, we didn't meet for game day Thursday. We didn't have the games we like to play um, that were easily accessible online. It's not like people have like a, everyone had an Xbox and you could all play something together. Um, mm-hmm. So I decided, you know, we have to do game day Thursday. So I created my own Benjopoly, which was, you know, we'd always talk about making our own cards and adding expansion packs to it. So I, you know, we added in different win conditions. We added in extra, extra cards um, and um, one of the guys who was part of those game day Thursdays was my friend Andrew Savage, and he's he's been my co-founder on on this project. And um, we um, the intention though was purely just for this game day Thursday. And but while I was developing it, I had some friends who I'd lived with when I was interning in New York City, who even when the site was like mostly buggy, barely playable, they would help you know, test out games with me and we would play like for an hour or two every day. And it was this kind of bonding experience I wouldn't have gotten if we hadn't been playing this online game together. And I thought that was pretty cool. So once it was in a passable state, I put it on Facebook and I was like, Hey, you know, if people want to, you know, play this game online with, with your friends during the pandemic, you know, go for it. And within a week, I was pretty happy that we had had 600 games. I was like, 600 games? Um, that was way past my expectations of what people on Facebook would be doing. But some some dude, I think, from the University of Virginia, a guy I didn't know, he reached out to me and he was like, hey, love the game, but if you wanted to go big, you should post about it in this meme group called Zoom Memes for Quarantines. And I had never heard of this group before, but it had like 600,000 people in it at that time. And it was really, really active. And... Uh, so I was like, okay, I, I, I throw a post in there. I had some Tiger King re- references and such. And um, uh, in in that post, and um, at like, I was actually writing the first test for, for the website. If you're a responsible coder, you should be writing tests for your code base um, to make sure that code quality works and this helps the, the, the maintenance of the site. And I didn't do that. So I was writing my, my, my first test and I went to go check the site out at like one in the morning before I went to bed when I was finishing writing those things. And the number of games was like 1,200 games played. And I was like, that makes no sense. There must be a bug, um, something I just added in. So I, I turned off all the servers. I restarted it. And it was still there, 1,200 games played. And I was like, uh, well, okay, weird. So it turns out that Facebook post, even though it was posted at one in the morning, was getting tons of likes and comments and it was bonkers. Uh, by the morning, I woke up at like 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. And uh, I think we got into like 4,000 games played. And uh, I think there was like thousands of likes, hundreds of comments. It was shared out the wazoo and the site was crashed. It had broken like two hours earlier. So um, I took the day off and I ended up... Uh, uh, coding pretty much for 24 straight hours trying to scale the site when it was not meant to get the most traffic. I'd never made a website that was yeah. popular before. So I was learning all these things. The site was really, really slow. There was tons of bugs. Um, and uh, But around 11 p.m., 
it eventually I fixed the stuff and it was working in a pretty decent spot. But I was calling all my friends who might know some backend experience or some database stuff, being like, "Do you have any idea what's going wrong? Wrong with this?" My parents <laughs> were actually like, "Benji, you have to eat dinner." I'm like, "I'm like, guys, you don't understand. It's working right now, but this could break at any point." They're like, "Benji, it's not going to break in 20 minutes. Just call me dinner." I ate dinner. I was nervous the entire time. I finished dinner, and within that 20 minutes, the site, the site had crashed. But um, anyways, I feel like I had learned more than like two years worth of just like things you can learn in class, just yeah, trying to manage that crisis of scaling the website. But um, by the end end of that day, we had 10,000 games played, which was bonkers to me. Uh, and it was fun seeing the, the growth curve of Covidopoly in those first few days. It was like skyrocketed. But um, mm-hmm. anyways, um, it's, it, it's been a great learning experience, but when the, uh, there was this phase where all these internships and companies were either firing their employees or, uh, canceling outright the internship. So a bunch of people I saw on Facebook had no some summer plans. So they might be working mm-hmm. for some company and they what time? So this is like so during the peak of, uh, of peak of COVID. Yeah, this 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 was like pretty much. I think COVID was around for like. I think it was. Just, I think I started making this the week after, like within the week of San Francisco closing down. So I had moved from San Francisco to LA to be with my sister, um, and I was only there for a week before we end before LA also got shut down, and we then went back to stay home with my family for a few months. So in that point where I was on my sister's couch, though, was when uh, I started making this website. So it was right at the beginning of COVID when I started doing it. Um, and uh, it maybe took me about two weeks to make the initial site that went out there. And I think probably two weeks later or so was when it really got a lot more traction um, or, uh, or so. But... Everyone was losing their internships at some point. So I decided to talk with Andrew, my co-founder, and I was like, what if we did an internship where people, first off, people were, were volunteering to work on the site for free, just in general. This, they just want to help. We had engineers all over the place, guys from like Facebook and Amazon and India and wherever else. Everybody was trying to see if, you know, volunteer to make contributions or we had a guy who's from, from Xbox and he actually recorded a bunch of sounds, um, sent me like a hundred mostly self, self-recorded sounds uh, that he thought could be good sound effects for, for the site. But 12 of those were just different sound bites of Trump saying China in funny ways. So because of that, <laughs> we put in, if you type in the word China into our chat for the game, you'll hear yeah. one, you'll hear Trump say China one of three different ways. And, um, <laughs> people have sent the word China with the intention of that being the secret sound um, over like 12 million times on 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 the site. <laughs> so we have a bunch of secret sounds now and people love doing them. You know, whenever we update yeah. them and put in our version of version history, like new sounds, someone on Twitter goes through the jumbled up code that, you know, in their browser and they find the one statement that lists out all the secret sounds in our actual code. But uh it's, there's like a Reddit for people trying to find these, these secret sounds. We have ones that are specifically meant for people from certain countries because we have a really strong presence in Southeast Asia, so Singapore, India, that kind of stuff, the Philippines. So we have things that only if you live there, you would really kind of get the context for it. Um, but a- anyways, um, uh, um, so people are volunteering to like do this stuff. We had a UX designer from University of Michigan actually wanted to come and make a mock-up for a mobile app, you know, just to do it for her resume. So um, we ended up making a document and we advertised it on the homepage of Covidopoly and I put it on Facebook. That was like, what kind of roles we're looking for for an internship. We have like a seven step coding challenge for the software engineers. Um, and within five days, we got over a hundred applicants from all over the place. And companies were actually sending out this document to their former like fired interns and we're like, sorry guys, but you know, COVIDopoly, they're taking on people. And um, a big newsletter for in San Francisco 
sent it out. Like it got so much traction at until I took took it off. There was over a hundred people looking at the document at any point at any hour of the, the day. Um, wow! So that was that was pretty cool. Um, so we ended up bringing on. Were like, you were you like making money of off of Covidopoly well, at all? You know, I've we've never put on ads um, on the site. We easily could have. We could have put ads, video ads, and probably made a decent amount amount of money. But I felt it was, you know, for a game people were relying to hang out with their friends. I felt like it would, you know, I don't want to douse them in ads. I also wanted to resist being part of the ad machine for at least a, a little bit. So I I told myself for in the pandemic period I wasn't going to put ads onto the site, and we just asked people, if, you know, to donate if they could uh, and we have this big wall of people who have donated to the site uh, on the homepage so um, if you donate even a, wow. a penny you put onto there uh, we also but now we have an in-app store where you can get expansion packs extra cards customizations some extra features and um, all things you, you can earn through like a currency in the game but uh, if you want to just get those um, as add-ons uh, you could pay for those as well. So um, that doesn't make, it's not like we're making bank on it. Um, a slight loss at the end of the day now is that uh, people, who have donated, people who have donated have, don have donated, but I think it's been a nice thing to kind of support for now. But in the long run, we're going to probably have to put in some sort of ads. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah. Um, wow. so people who came on as interns, they, they were unpaid interns, but we had like 12 or 13 people, um, from all in like five different time zones and they were awesome. We had like software engineers from, from Brown, Yale, University of Michigan. We had a whiz kid dude, um, who was finished, who just finished his freshman year of high school. And he was, he has a more impressive resume than three Google engineers. It's Pretty pretty bonkers guy, but um, we had software engineers that were older than me, and uh, we had like a sound guy from Berkeley School of Music. The team was awesome, right? And we had a ten week internship. And my actually the proudest thing I have from this entire experience with the website is not having the website this popular, but how well that team ran. You know, the team dynamic was great. Um, it was really cool seeing people grow throughout the process. I mean, the software engineers that came in. Even the ones who were young, uh, by the time they left, I thought they were pretty pretty strong at making websites and mobile apps, and um, um, it was just a really really fun experience. And the site was a lot better now, um, and they pretty much made a mobile app uh, from the ground up in ten weeks, which was pretty impressive. Yeah, and uh, one thing that I'm kind of curious about that I think is very common now is like everybody's trying to find that one thing that they like. And that they can quit their job and fully commit themselves to that. But it seems like even though you have these, you know, side hustles, hobbies, passions, it doesn't seem like you're in a rush to to leave your job, right? So for you, is it like you more are just purely doing it just for fun, but you still really enjoy your your day to day? I mean, um, I think I am in a lucky spot where I have a really good team at work. So I work at Google. I work on YouTube. Um, which for me has been a fun thing, fun thing to work on because it's a thing that I use all the time. So, uh, you know, it's fun being able to show like, hey, I changed this or added a new feature or I added double tap to seek for iPhones or whatever. And um, I was actually showing a friend like, man, I added this new feature. It's just launched, looks cool. And it even, it even works when you turn your phone sideways. I turned my phone sideways, looked, looked awful. Not from something I had done, but there was a bug that was just on there <laughs> for a while that no one, no one had, yeah. had noticed. And it was cool as being able to go through and fix that. But, um, but also that I could grab a beer with anybody on, on my team and it'd be a good time. You know, this gotcha. allowed me to have flexibility to travel during this period of time where I'm not landlocked to a certain region and I can go out and do that, you know, outdoorsy stuff. But, um, yeah. But I usually could be in a team where that wasn't the case, right? So I'm very grateful that I have that experience. You know, I think the only thing that you don't get at a big company is being able to build something from the ground up. And that's what my personal projects do. I think eventually, if I have a great enough idea that it's going to make it a ton of money, you know, I would be down to you know, go into that full time. 
right? But until I have that great idea, and I don't think Covidopoly is going to be the thing that's going to make a gazillion dollars. Um, uh, um, you know, I'll, I'll keep doing what I'm doing, but it, it has been fun. Um, if, uh, yeah. yeah, so I'm just fortunate that I was in that position coming out of college. Yeah, I thought about that just because I think it's, I think at the end of the day, it's not that people hate their job, but I think it's sometimes when it's not really aligned with what you enjoy, that's what drives a lot of us to like look for something so that we can fully pursue that. You know, obviously it still seems like you want to, you know, if you were to find something, you would still leave, but you're in that fortunate position of being able to, you know, still have a job that you like, right? And I'm curious for you, I wanted to know, are there things that maybe that you want to do right now that you that you feel like you're not able to yet or you're kind of still wanting to, I don't know, maybe build a certain knowledge or skill? Are there things that you want to do but you're just not ready for? Um, I don't know. I think, I think uh, uh, I've been able to balance doing my exploratoriness and building new skills while also doing my current job in decent well. So I don't feel like I've been limited in a- any way. I think I have a NDA that you sign at Google where I couldn't go through and make a competitor search engine, for example, but I have no interest in doing that. But there is, but I always think there's, you know, if you really want to make something a priority, you can, you can find time to, to do it. Uh, So what I would always do, especially when I was living in San Francisco is I would do personal projects in the morning on the bus to work and I would do it on the bus ride back. And sometimes I was feeling really motivated. I'd, I'd keep working on whatever I was working on, um, you know, when I came back from, from work. Because what else are I going to be doing on like a Tuesday night? But um, on Sundays, Sundays I would spend the entire day at my favorite coffee shop. And I would just work there from the time it opened to the time it closed. And that was the day I would get my big pictures done on whatever project I was working on. Um, and I think that mentality could extend to not just coding projects, but for whatever skill I was trying to get good at, um, mm-hmm. the daily routine of doing, you know, chipping away at it and then having one day to dedicate it to really, really putting all my attention into it. Um, and I, I was able to do that with, with a, a full-time job. And, um, right now, one of my things I'm trying to, trying to work on is in a similar way, Spanish. Uh, so in my free time, I'm trying to, um, you know, do, do a lingo and listen to podcasts and when I'm in the shower in Spanish or yeah. whatever. And I don't know, I, I feel there's like so many ways to find time to, to do things. I remember in college, like you, you're busy, you have, you have coursework, you have projects, you have whatever personal orgs you're in. But I still found I could listen to books while walking to class, right? And I, you can get through a lot of books doing it that way so um i don't know i think uh one thing i found i've been generally i i like to think the strength of mine is being able to uh, i recognize one when i've mastered something so i find there's all it can be hard to distinguish when you're familiar with something and when you've mastered it i think a common example is when you're reading like a textbook or an essay for, for school and you're like following the history of some war you know, for history class. You're like, oh yeah, this makes sense. I get what's happening. You close the book. Someone asks you what you just read and you're like, you know, you have a really hard time really explaining what you just did, even though it made sense. You're, you're familiar with what you just read, but you haven't mastered it. Um, I think being able to distinguish between those two is most people have a hard time with. Um, but uh, also another problem is that, uh, I've I found looking at other people um, that I've also tried to get better at is uh, when you're spending a lot of energy doing something, but you're not really doing any learning in it. Um, often if you're coding, you're working on some bug. And if you get into a certain kind of bug, you might spend 10 hours and you're spinning your wheels, making no progress. And only once you fix it at the end, you've made a tiny bit of learning once you figure out the gimmick. This is different than learning by... I've done something has failed, but I know what I did wrong and I can now do something different. And you kind of, even if you keep failing over and over again, you're kind of getting closer and closer and learning every step of the way. 
But the spinning your wheels and thrashing, that's the worst. Um, so when we talked to my engineers and my getting started guide for Covidopoly, I, I told them all that um, if you come into a bug, right, I think you're going to be able to o- overcome it. If you still are stuck, I think you're about to figure it out because if you're in that level of desperation, you're open to seeing the world in any, any different kind of way. But if you feel like you're thrashing and you're spinning your wheels, you should immediately talk to me. Do not waste any more time working on this and I'll help put you back on you know, uh, the rails. Uh, and um, yeah, I think both of those things has helped me be able to pick up and do different hobbies and get proficient at them in a reasonable amount of time and not waste my time spinning wheels. And you mentioned uh, your, your strengths is that you've learned how to master things. What would you say is one of your weaknesses that you feel like you tend to fall into sometimes? Weaknesses? Uh, yeah. This is like a, one of those interview questions that no one ever <laughs> truly answers. But um, right. there's, um, there's a... a I don't know. I I think people, other people I know who are similar to me, like really, really in the side projects. Uh, um, I think it's very easy to obsess over them, especially in the beginning, to a point that it detracts from other things. Um, I think I I can fall into that trap trap too. Um, another weakness is uh, I'm a notoriously average dancer. Uh, however, <laughs> I try really hard, and I. I stand by the belief that if you're having fun doing it, no matter how bad you are, it's still is going to going to be be a fun. At least that's what I tell myself when uh, my sister's like, "Benji, you look like a doofus." But um, yeah, uh, no, I I say here's 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 a more more serious uh, weakness. I think I have like a super slow reading speed. I think I'm. I think if I took a test, I'd probably be in the bottom ten percent of reading speed. Um, it, to take a small book, it takes me like probably way longer than the average person to get through that book, but um, which is why I listen to all of my books, um, unless it's like a textbook and you have to like really, you know, it's like a coding textbook. You can't like have someone read you code. Um, but even yeah. then, everyone kind of goes through that at a slower pace than usual. But if you're reading normal writing, um, you know, that's a thing where even taking like standardized tests like the ACT was tough. I spent a lot of time not even trying to learn the knowledge for the ACT, but trying to read fast enough to read through all of it before the test even finished, right? So um, <laughs> that was a, uh, what I ended up doing is I read the first and last sentence of every paragraph, like the reading sections and stuff, but I, I couldn't get fast enough. But, um, you know, that's, that's a, a thing that can be kind of, kind of annoying, but I, 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 I can listen pretty fast, so. Gotcha. It's funny you say that because I'm trying to get into audiobooks uh, because I personally, I really like to read when I was younger. Like I used to take these, um, what are they called? A- accelerated reading quizzes in uh, middle school and high school. And I was like one of the top in my school. But ever since college, I haven't been able to read as much. So I recently got this audible mm-hmm. trial the other day and I'm trying to learn how to better market myself. So I started reading this book called This is Marketing by Seth Godin. But I've realized that Mm -hmm. the reason I don't like audiobooks is because when I read, I don't just like read and finish. I will read something, go back to the top of the page, look at it again, make sure I understand. And I've realized when I listen to an audiobook, it feels like it's going in one year and out the other. So I think we're like opposites when it comes to like how we uh, how we consume information. Yeah, I think it takes some training um, because I find for me when I'm reading a book, I know it's. I'll read through a paragraph and be like, wait a second, did I fully get that paragraph? And I'll read through it again. Uh, I find the same, yeah. that same problem happens with, with audiobooks. But I think what's happening there, at least for me, when I was you know, getting more and more into reading, listening to books, is it was more a matter of focus. You have to focus when you're reading the book. But I think there's not really anything different between an audiobook and what we're doing right now. We're, we're, we're talking. And you're able to process what I'm saying. Um, and, uh, uh, I think if people can handle a conversation, they can also handle audiobooks. Um, but the, the, the big thing is making sure that when it's just like a one-sided conversation, like an audiobook is that you don't like drift off and you're like, wait, what's that? Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I find with practice, you, you kind of, you know, 
get that, but I think anybody you can have a conversation with with their friend can can do it too. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm gonna work on it. And um, you know, one thing I want to ask you is throughout this interview, you've mentioned your family a lot. You know, you mentioned you know staying with them early on. You mentioned your sisters going to stay with her. It seems like they've had a really um, impactful you know presence in your life. Like, what's the most influential thing or maybe most memorable thing you feel like your your family has has taught you oh well um yeah my my family we're we're very close in general one i have like 60 or 70 something cousins now like i have this huge moroccan family on on my dad's side and they're bonkers my grandma's you know from morocco she's like one of eight brothers and sisters and they all had a bunch of kids and whatever it's and most of them live near chicago which was not too far from where I, I grew up. So I, I was raised kind of going to these humongous, even like a Friday night dinner would be easily 70 plus people, you know, not even like a Jeez. big holiday. And um, so that was a bunch of fun. Um, uh, having that, that tight knit family and you know, they, they're all like the Moroccan immigrant kind of people where they all came, they, they learned English and they started their own businesses. And my, my, uh, you know, they're, they're fiercely entrepreneurial as a mindset. And my, my, my grandpa would always say, like, uh, don't waste yourself working for somebody else. You know, work for yourself, yada, yada. And I think but that kind of mentality has been like a touchstone for me when I, when I go back to a holiday can I, or see all my relatives. It kind of reinvigorates you to, you know, you know, you know, go above and beyond and do that personal project or whatever. Uh, and um, I think that's been one of the biggest things I've taken from my family as role models in that sense. Uh, and I, I do think doing your own business and being able to do well enough that you can hire other people and, you know, they can live, live their life because of the value you're bringing to others is... Um, one of the highest callings there is. And one of my favorite things for photography at college was not just taking the photos, but eventually I massed a team of like eight photographers that um, I would, I would do my own gigs, but then I would also manage and find gigs for them and they'd be able to, uh, you know, um, make some of some, some of the money for either paying off college or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And one of my photographers sent me a message during the summer and she was like, yeah, you know, she she thanked me for providing all these gigs and that was helping her pay and you know for her college and um, that was one of the most uh, you know like happiest memories from the, the photography world was that kind of thing. So um, I think um, that focus comes from my family uh, for sure, and uh, I think my siblings are also there. There, uh, my sister Emily, she's in music and. She's she's uh, been been killing it. My sister Lauren, she's um, now looking to do some consulting stuff. And every org she gets into, she gets asked to become the president. And you know, she's very good with those kind of soft skills. Uh, yeah. So I think we all kind of motivate each other to to work really hard. No, that's lovely, man. I um I relate to that a lot. I think it's it's really dope to be able to just to just help people. You know what I'm saying? I think I don't want to get too deep or cliche. I think like to me, life has always been just people. Like I really, I love when I can just like, uh, a friend will ask me a question and if I'm able to really just explain it in a way that I know that they will get it and then they get it, I, I feel happy just because, I mean, I didn't get anything out of it. They didn't pay me, but just the fact that they were able to learn from me and then go and, you know, bless their own life, I think is really dope. So I think it's really cool that you've been able to help others, even with the intern program, uh, getting, you know, gigs for other photographers. It really shows that, you know, you're very uh, selfless in how you, how you operate. And I think that's, um, it's really like what I like to um, learn about and talk to people like that. So keep up, keep up the good work, man. Uh, but you, you've blessed us with a lot of cool insights and stuff. So before I, I let you go, I want you to, um, if somebody was to miss every single thing you said, maybe not the part where you said you couldn't dance, but everything else. And, you wanted to just bless them with a little bit of advice. What 
would you say to somebody that wanted to know how to best create the life that they want to live? Oh, I, I, I really do think that the biggest thing for me was what I was talking about earlier was being able to differentiate mastery from being familiar with something. Um, I think that's been probably the biggest thing that's helped me approach how whatever I'm trying to tackle. Um, and uh, for example, what I tell people who come code for, for me or with me is uh, you you can, um, you know, if you're learning like a new technology, most people get to the point where they can code something and they can do it pretty confidently and it's going, going to work. And once they get to that point where they're pretty familiar with it, uh, uh, that's where the learning usually stops. Um, but I think for me, once I feel like I've gotten to that point, I'll read a book on best practices for whatever that thing is. Or I'll read a book on, usually I'll read a book like that, a book on styles to make sure that's the you know, best thing for someone else to read if they're going through your code, code base later. Um, and I put in a bunch of work after the point that I feel I can do everything I normally would think that I wanted to, to do with it. And that extra step, um, I think, is is huge to get yourself in the habit of recognizing when you should get in, into, into that stage and executing on it. You know, I did that with photography, too. Um, and I said even the smartest and best programmers or whatever you're doing... I find they plateau at that stage, and that's when other people who put in that extra work uh, can surpass them. Mm. I like that, man. That, I never thought about stuff like that because I'm, I'm kind of like the person you describe, where uh, I really don't like leaving something without having it figured out. So I'll just stay there for hours. Uh, but it is kind of cool to think about it and like, have I really? Am I done learning here? Is there anything else I can do? But I'm so like. I'm I'm very like oh, I got to I got to finish it now. So I think it's good to like look in, from that perspective of like take some time away and like see how else you can learn or better yourself in what you're doing. So I think that's that's still good advice, man. Yeah. I say I, like I when when Pony Paul becomes a humongous podcast and you really got <laughs> the flow for your video editing, you know, done or whatever it is. You got the software done, you know exactly how to do it. Like yeah. that's the point where I'd say, you know, do some really rigorous course or something where, yeah. where you learn all the ins and outs of this best practices and shit. Yeah. Um, that, uh, yeah. You said it first, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll follow you up. Once I blow up, I'll have you back on and we can uh, discuss what I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, well, man, no, but I, I really appreciate you, um, giving us the time. I know you're in Alaska, so I don't want to take too much time away from you so you can go back to <laughs> fishing or whatever you're doing out there. But uh, thank you for um, coming on. And before I let you go, I want to know, you know, where can people find you and how can we maybe support your, whatever you're doing, your, your personal projects? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've too many Instagrams, man. Um, I, for, for photography, I have um, Benji, Bear photography with underscores. Uh, you know they they can. Uh, my my personal Instagram is sorry Goldilocks with S R R Y Goldilocks. Anyways, um, if people you know met, message me or uh, message me uh, or, or find me on Covidopoly or uh, the photography Instagram. Got you. And uh, I think I also want to recommend. I'm, I'll put in the show notes as well. Uh, your your travel site I, that that was really cool. How? Oh yeah. Because um, one thing that, that one thing that stood out to me is that it wasn't a regular travel site. You know, most of them are just kind of like the place they went to, mm -hmm. a picture, and you kind of can just scroll down. But yours is very interesting. So I definitely want everybody to check that out um, to see all all the places you've been to and just oh, how yes. you really present that information. Really cool. Yes, that that website is called travelbear.photos. And, um, yeah, that's, that's one thing we ever make, make a website and try to make it, um, I think oh, there's a lot, a lot of laziness in web dev and every website looks pretty similar. And I try to make something look a bit funky. And for that site, I, uh, did not want it just to be the normal medium style image text, image text. And I had a, a lot of fun making it. 
Yeah, that's cool. But yeah, man, I appreciate you once again. And to anybody listening, always remember to stay creative. Peace. Thank you guys for tuning in to that creative conversation. I hope it was able to inspire you. And if you'd like to continue getting inspired, there's actually three main ways you guys can do that. One, you can actually watch all the YouTube videos. Uh, that's the full length episodes and also clips just to get a little preview about what each episode might be about. Two, you guys can actually listen on all podcasting platforms, which is Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Please feel free to leave a rating or review. Just help me out and also get the word of mouth out there. Three, you guys can actually subscribe to the Paul and Pals newsletter, which is basically a written summary of each episode in addition to my takeaway. So that I kind of give what the episode made me think about, what I got from it. Link in the description and show notes. But without further ado, always remember to stay creative.